0: Welcome to WISO's Weekly Radio Magazine. I'm Jerry Kenny. Coming up on today's program, we'll talk with filmmaker Sindhu Thiru Malasami, who will show her work today at the Little Art Theater in Yellow Springs. We'll talk to her about her film, A Devastating Account of Pollution in Bangalore, India. We've also got Veterans Voices and Dayton Youth Radio coming your way. First, It's not often that we touch on stories like that of 10-year-old Dakota Collins. The boy, abused both physically and sexually for years, died back in December. Since then, Dakota's father has been arrested, along with two other women living in the home. And it's been revealed that, despite numerous complaints from teachers and others over the years, the police, courts, and children's services across multiple jurisdictions were not able to connect, at least not in time to save Dakota's life. Polly Parks and Karen Bako are founders of a group called Dakota's Call. Polly and Karen were so moved by Dakota's story, so outraged, that they're organizing people together to ask questions about how children are being cared for here in the Miami Valley. Here's Polly.
1: When I read the words about how he was locked in an attic, naked, abused, something just hit me in a place that I, I can't explain. And then the more I read, the more that I was like, this can't happen again. This this is ridiculous. And then when the news came out that there was 17 calls made from the teachers, it moved me up out of my chair. Uh, I said, you know, something's got to be done. And I'm just a regular citizen of the Miami Valley. And I mean, that's just who I am. You know, if if things are bad, if things are broken, then we can do better.
0: Karen Baco feels the same way.
2: How 17 calls cannot be acted on. We have questions about the way the system works, the lack of transparency, the lack of accountability, and those all contributed. And everyone in that process, everyone in that hierarchy has responsibility for this.
1: You got children that that are invisible. They're not they're not being looked after. They're falling through the cracks. We've got a major problem here, and we've got to work together to make this better. No one person has all the answers, but together, we can fight the fight and we can save children's lives.
0: So Polly and Karen have started a website, TakotasCall dot org, and they're asking people to reach out and get involved. Sixty five people came to their first meeting.
1: Honestly. I thought maybe we would have 20. So, you know, three times the amount. I felt like that was very telltale of the people in the Miami Valley that this is something that's very concerning to them. What I got from that meeting is people are frustrated. They want answers. They're concerned. They're afraid. You know, what do we do now? 17 calls was made, and this child is dead. Who do we turn to now?
0: It's really struck me that teachers were the first ones who made those calls to child services and the police. But once Dakota's father decided to take him out of school to homeschool him, those complaints stopped. I wondered if Polly and Karen think changes in homeschooling laws need to be made.
1: Now, I've got to do a disclosure here. We are not against homeschooling. I have friends that homeschool, very good parents and people that are homeschooling. You know, we live in America. Parents should be allowed to do what they need to do for their family and their children. But what we are against is just turning a blind eye to folks who have issues in their life, who are abusing their children.
2: We're against the people who are using homeschooling to cover their criminal behavior at the risk of the children that's what we're against not homeschooling but the use the misuse of homeschooling
0: so what is next for your group
2: we're taking it a step at a time both polly and myself are just everyday citizens we're working our way through the system and we're trusting that energy that vitalized us to guide us in the right direction and The fact that we have people from every walk of life coming to us and sharing their stories or sharing their expertise, they're guiding us along the path.
1: Yes, just one last thing. Uh, You know, people are reaching out. We just want to say if this is a subject that you have a heart for, please, please reach out to us.
0: Karen and Polly, thank you both for speaking with us today and good luck in your efforts.
1: Thank you so much.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Holly Parks, and Karen Baco. Their organization is takotascall.org. Since our conversation, another baby has died in Montgomery County from what the coroner's office described as blunt force injuries. The Ohio Department of Job and Family Services has started a review of how Montgomery County handles its child abuse cases, and now Ohio Governor Mike DeWine has put together a task force to address those issues as well. This is WISO Weekend on 91.3 WYSO. I'm Jerry Kenney. Thanks for joining us. In the final days of the Vietnam War, people knew the end was near. 3,000 children were evacuated from South Vietnam and taken to the United States and other countries for adoption. Two and three babies were placed in boxes and watched by nurses. Today on Veterans Voices, Air Force veteran Ray Snediger of Centerville tells his fellow Airman veteran Aaron Manley of Dayton about his role in Operation Baby Lift.
2: What is one of the most significant events in your career?
0: Um,
3: evacuating the Amerasian babies out of Vietnam at the at the closure of the war, at the last minute, President Ford made the decision we were going to fly in there and pick these babies up. Um, were children of American fathers and Vietnamese mothers, and the intent for the North Vietnamese was supposedly to kill all these mixed race babies and They came out looking for anybody on the crew who had combat loading experience, I put my hand up and because i 'd had a lot of experience in in Vietnam and combat loading, not only loading people alive but loading bodies on board and parts of bodies and Body bags et etc so so we were trying to get them out, and um, we did actually get like three thousand people out eventually before they shut down the war but um, there's somewhere between twenty and eighty thousand of these children were born during that period there 's no accurate number on it, and we only got three thousand out and um, it was a, a great mission, a humanitarian mission, but it went bad because we crashed on takeoff, not too long after takeoff, and wound up 135 died, and 175 people survived in that crash. Yeah.
2: So how long did you go before you flew again?
3: Probably a couple of years, at least.
2: Were you scared?
3: Apprehensive, I guess, is the word. Um, uh, Anything changed? The pitch of the engine changed, or air conditioner popped. Anything? I would sit straight up because I was expecting bad things to happen. And eventually, all that went away.
2: Of the people um, that you're uh, that were on the crash that survived, is there anybody that you still keep in contact with?
3: Yeah, I'm friends with probably 20. No, I'm probably friends with 35 or 40 of the babies that were on there. They're adults now, obviously. And I'm real close friends with about 10 of them. But, yes, I'm close with a lot of those, and I I communicate with some of them every day.
2: I know that you went on a trip back there a few years ago. What was that like when you you figured out exactly where it happened?
3: Uh, I didn't want to go back for years. And I got talked into it by my friend Aaron, the flight nurse. And we went back in November of 2014. We spent nearly three weeks in Vietnam. And uh, we were at the actual crash site, right where the nose gear wound up in the airplane, right where I was at, actually, uh, when they got me out of the airplane. And uh, very emotional. And we, am- we, I mean, we cried our eyes out.
0: That was Air Force veterans Ray Snediger and Aaron Manley. Their conversation took place at WISO as part of StoryCorps Military Voices Initiative, which visited the Miami Valley last summer. Veterans Voices on WISO is presented by wright Pat Credit Union with additional support from CareSource. This story was edited by Dave Seitz and Will Davis. And today on the best of Dayton Youth Radio, a story produced at the U Media Center in Springfield in 2016. It was the first Dayton Youth Radio story produced by twin sisters, and it's called Inseparable. Here's Project Coordinator Basim Blunt to introduce the story. Dajane and Odyssey are from a close-knit family, and they've pretty much done everything together. Birthday parties, vacations, sharing the same toys...
4: In fact, the 17-year-olds have never been apart from each other for more than four hours. Here's odyssey.
5: I remember when we were younger, we lived in this apartment complex, and uh, we was both into the brat dolls. Oh, yes, 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 yes. We would go up to our room with all our brat dolls and teddy bears and stuff. And we would just have the time of our life. We would make characters out of everything. and It was just us two. We had a whole town. There was, like, a town mayor. It was like, (laughs) we'd play it every day. It's so weird. When we'd put the dolls to sleep, we'd go to sleep. The whole town was shut down. This is Dajane. There was a point to where we were younger. We weren't allowed to wear skirts. We weren't allowed to wear shorts that were above our knees. I think that's why we don't have a style now, because our dad always picked out our clothes for us. We weren't allowed to do a lot of things that, like, What if Calvin to help us be more independent? Because we've always had to do stuff together. How does it feel to be a twin? This is Odyssey. You'll never be lonely. You always have somebody by your side. And they're always going to be your supporter. Like, if I look ugly one day, you're going to be like, girl, you look cute today. And I know I'm ugly, but I got you to tell me I look cute. And this is Dajane. We've all had a best friend that we just love so much that we wish we'd lived with them. wish we could spend all our time with them. I feel like having a twin is like that. You never get lonely. I can never build a relationship with another person like I did with my sister. It's like starting all over again with life. This is Odyssey. I don't really know if I want to go to college. When I graduate, I plan on getting out of school, going home, laying down, and not getting up early anymore. That's what I plan on doing. And she's like certain. She's just... Yeah, I'm ready to go to college right now. <laughs> I don't know. We've always been so close. We've all been together. I don't think I'll know what to do with myself. <laughs> I would probably just lay down and cry. What a bucket of ice cream in my face all the time. I'll probably force myself to find the interest <laughs> to go to college with her and just be there, for, just to be with her for no reason. This is Dajane. and I try to motivate her. Like, let's go come to college, come to college, because I do not, I do not want to separate. I think about it, and I worry more than you about life. I shouldn't because I'm too young. I should be being a teenager and making my mistakes. But I'm like, oh, no. like I low-key feel like I'm willing to give up my dreams just to stay with my sister. But I can't do that because my sister ain't going to make no money for me. (laughs) She's not, and I'm not even putting her down. Vice versa, same with her. She can't stay with me for the rest of my life because we can't make a family with each other. We can't. Ew, that's disgusting. Like we can't produce money from each other. We just can't. We have to move on. This is like a relationship we're gonna have to force we're gonna have to build the great wall in China in between us in order to like it's gonna be so hard. Yeah, I think I'm gonna survive. I'm not gonna just stop living my life because my sister's gone. I mean I'll lose half of my life, but I'll still I'll still live. I'm probably gonna have a- broke down job flipping burgers but you know (laughs) (laughs) for Dayton Dayton Youth Radio Radio, this is Dajene and Odyssey
0: (laughs) (laughs) that was a feature entitled Inseparable by Dajene and Odyssey Brown of the U Media Center in Springfield special thanks to Renee Stratton and Dan Gummel To hear more stories from this series, visit WYSO.org. For Dayton Youth Radio, this is Project Coordinator Bessine Blunt. This story originally aired in 2016. Dayton Youth Radio is created at the Eichelberger Center for Community Voices at WYSO. We've got more of the program coming your way. Listening to WISO Weekend on 91 3 WYSO. I'm Jerry Kenney. Thanks for joining us. And today in the studio with us, we have Catalina Jordan Alvarez, who is a visiting assistant professor of media arts at Antioch College in Yellow Springs. Catalina, welcome to the program.
4: Thank you very much, Jerry.
0: Since the start of the new year, you have been curating a free public series with Antioch, bringing national artists and scholars to the college to do Q&A sessions and to demonstrate what they've done artistically as well. Can you tell us about this series, Sound Action?
4: Well, these are public events that my students participate in, but the public is also invited to. I built this series around the courses I'm teaching this term. The first one is a basic media production course, uh, but it has an activist focus. Um, And the other one is a course on sound. So the visitors in my series either approach art as a form of activism or they engage with sound as a medium or both. Turns out many of them do both.
0: Now, we're coming in on the tail end of this series, but it will continue into the spring. And coming up this weekend, you have a visiting filmmaker who will show some of her work and do a Q&A with audiences as well, Sindhu Thirumalisamy. She is showing her film The Lake and the Lake, which is uh, about a toxic lake in India's Silicon Valley. Uh, tell me a little bit about your experience with her and why she was chosen.
4: Yes. Well, I'm uh, familiar with Sindhu as a a great artist, but also someone sort of in my circle. We attended um, a conference together, and I'm familiar with the MFA program that she graduated from, and she's currently a fellow at the Whitney ISP. And we're having a free screening of her films at the beautiful Little Art Theater here in Yellow Springs. And The Lake and the Lake is a a fascinating film, which is about a toxic lake in India's Silicon Valley.
0: We had the opportunity to speak with Sindhu by phone from her current home in New York this week to tell us a little bit about the film. Let's take a listen to that.
6: The Lake and the Lake is the English translation. The original title is in Kannada, and it's Kere Matukere. And I sort of used uh, a couple of references to think about this title. One of them is um, a book, a novel by um, China Miéville. It's called The City and the City. And in this novel, there are two cities that share the same geographic space. So they're kind of laid out on top of each other. But the the citizens from one city are not allowed to look at or interact with the citizens from the other city. So there's a kind of way in that book that I saw there were parallels to what I thought was happening in Bangalore, where I uh, shot this film, where it almost felt as if there were two or more really distinct spaces that were in such close proximity to each other, but really had no um, conversation with each other. So I thought about the lake and the lake to imply uh, the proximity that is in the reference to the city and the city, but also to think about like multiple ways to think about the same space. So like the lake and the lake and the lake and how many different lakes can there be, depending on where you're standing, who you're talking to um, and what you choose to look at.
0: And so one of the lakes is quite literally a lake of pollution And Mm -hmm. perhaps the alternate lake is the waters of humanity, which are so close by and how these these two lakes interact with each other.
6: Yeah, that is a really good way of thinking about it. I think that often what happens really like in um, narratives of crisis is that we tend to really fixate on um, a problem that sometimes becomes too simplified just so that we can try to find a solution to it. And sometimes what happens in that process is there's lots of little minor details, minor histories and minor stories that kind of get um, obscured or erased. And I think that this film is trying to kind of hold on to some of those things that are maybe not in the official narratives of environmental crisis, um, but I think they they should enter that discussion.
0: Some of the imagery I've seen, it's quite beautiful, but the implications are pretty dire in particular there is a uh, a scene of this lake of foam and a little bit of mm-hmm. wind picks it up and creates a little foam cyclone it's quite beautiful but it's it's devastating mm-hmm. in in its nature
6: okay. yeah. can you can you tell us
0: uh, what we're seeing there
6: yeah so the film really is shot around um a lake called Belindur, which is really in the heart of Bangalore which is a major city in south india um, and this lake really is like is receiving all of the untreated sewage of the city. So the city is developing so fast, the treatment facilities for sewage is not able to keep up with the rate at which people are producing waste. So they just kind of let this water into the water bodies in the city. So the lake sort of collects all of this untreated sewage, and um, when it rains or when it's windy, the water churns to produce this foam. And that's what we're seeing. And that foam is, it's poisonous. It's, it's toxic. It's so full of, it's like a soup of chemicals and waste um, and bacteria. And sometimes it catches fire. So it's really been in the news quite a lot. It's something that, you know, if you're in the region, everyone has heard of what's happening in Bangalore. And it's, it's so beguiling, but it's also arresting. It's really difficult to imagine, um, you know, how to respond to something like this because it's a problem that we don't have um, you know, a, a precursor for
0: in that scene. There are short takes to the surrounding landscapes. You see a city a short ways in the distance. There are homes, and I assume residences uh, very close mm-hmm. by. Some very beautiful mm-hmm. grasslands. Uh, how is that area being affected by this lake?
6: Number of ways, right? Because that area is um, is home to and a place of work for lots of different kinds of people so i would say that like one of the major ways that it affects that area is that it seeps into the groundwater so that water isn't just blowing in the air um in these bubbles but it's also seeping into the groundwater that the city then taps into it like is causing skin problems for people when it kind of is flying around if it lands on their skin people are Um, reporting a lot of breathing difficulties. And for people who work, um, you know, in the immediate vicinity of the lake, if not in the lake, as you'll see in the film, this has far more consequences than, say, someone who lives uh, a little bit further away in a building that's, you know, air-conditioned and sealed off.
0: Pollution is obviously a worldwide issue, but how is it being addressed in Bangalore, India? And Bangalore is, I think, described as India's Silicon Valley?
6: Yeah, it's a name that I think people um, take with some amount of pride, um, and I hope a little bit of irony, Um, but, but... Yeah, it's Bangalore has been described, you know, in, in numerous reports as one of the most unlivable cities. It's described as one of the most congested cities in India, the city with the worst traffic, and I think that has a lot to do with the rate at which it's developed. Mm. So, I think a lot of there's obviously a range of responses to the problem of pollution. Maybe what I am sort of nudging towards in this film is to think about pollution and waste as intrinsic to development as opposed to something that we can just kind of, you know, deal with as a separate problem. I think one of the main things that I learned in this film is that it's really impossible to think about observation as a as a one-way street. Sometimes people go into the go into film a space, film somebody, film something, and they think that they're pointing their camera at something and um they are the ones who are looking at something that's unfolding in front of them. I think being around this lake, especially those moments where the foam is really flying back at me, I really had to contend with this idea that observation isn't a one-way thing, right? Like I'm there present in the midst of what's unfolding and what's unfolding influences my presence as much as I'm trying to frame it and construct meaning. So I think by the end of the project, uh, as I was editing, I really wanted to convey the sense of the Mm -hmm. nauseousness and the kind of disorientation that I was having because of the gases that were constantly in the air and and the sense of lostness around this place that's constantly being landscaped and changed and new boundaries are appearing and disappearing and homes are appearing and disappearing. So I think I wanted to try to convey that sense of disorientation and displacement that I that I felt um, and that I couldn't have imagined before I went there.
0: And you mentioned your mission with the film, but is there a, is there a public cry about this?
6: Yeah, there, I would say there's a huge uh, response to this problem in particular because it's so spectacular and it's so sort of bewildering that it really has stimulated a lot of people into action. I will also say that the problem feels very urgent to a certain certain groups of people in the city, and, the, and that the politicians often use it as a point, as an electoral point to campaign with. Mm-hmm. But it's been close to a decade since there was foam in this particular lake, and the foam isn't only isolated to this lake. It's, it shows up in different places in the region, and it's still showing up. So It's not like the problem has been solved. It's something that, you know, keeps getting pushed and deferred and used in a number of ways for people's agendas.
0: Sindhu, thank you so much for your (laughs) time today, and we look forward to seeing you in Yellow Springs.
6: Thank you so much, Terry. I'm excited to be there.
0: That was Sindhu Thiru-Malasamy, a filmmaker who will be visiting Antioch College this week for the showing of several of her films and a Q&A. My guest in studio this morning is Catalina Jordan-Alvarez, a visiting assistant professor of media arts with Antioch College. Catalina curated the free public series with Antioch. The series intersects sonic arts and activism. And Catalina, this film is beautifully made but the context within as we spoke about with Sindhu is pretty tragic.
4: Yeah, the issue of toxic treatment of our environment and and also, you know, ignoring the lower classes of society, I think is something that the film deals with, which is really fascinating.
0: Let's let people know how they can attend the showing, and get more information uh, about the following Q&A as well.
4: Yeah. So the screening is completely free and open to the public at the Little Art Theater this Sunday, March 8th, 1 p.m. And the very next day, actually, there is a master class on Antioch College's campus at 2.30, Monday, March 9th. And people who are interested in coming can view the course. She's gonna be working a little bit more closely with my students, but the public is actually invited to watch and if you'd like more information on that, you can go to Antioch College slash arts dash series. But the class will be in the cinema room of the Arts and Sciences Building, room two nineteen.
0: We've been speaking with Catalina Jordan-Alvarez, Visiting Assistant Professor of Media Arts at Antioch College. And Catalina, thanks so much for coming in to talk about this series that the college is offering.
4: Thank you so much, Jerry. It's been a pleasure.
0: And that closes out another WISO Weekend on WYSO. building a more informed community with independent news and storytelling. We'll meet you back here next Sunday at 10. Now on WYSO, it's Vic McUnis with The Book Nook.
4: Reporter, producer, and new voice at WYSO. After working for a statewide radio network and then a national program, I'm happy to have landed at WISO, a small station with big connections to its community. Listener support is more important than ever now that we're independent. So is your membership current? You can renew today at our website. Thank you.
2: The 2020 election season is here. With the final slate of candidates being decided, it's more important than ever to keep up. One easy way to do that, listen to NPR's Morning Edition on Alexa. You get the whole episode, the ongoing election coverage, interviews with the candidates, from the start, on your schedule. Weekdays from 7 to 3. Just say, Alexa, play Morning Edition. That's Morning Edition from NPR and your public radio station, WYSO.